Franklin, go ahead and open your Bible to Matthew 7. We can crinkle some Bible pages. Matthew chapter 7. If you're looking in the Pew Bible, you should find it on page 1032. I did not plan this. Nixon just uh, must have had a premonition, but right before the service he came up and he gave me this card, which I assume he made in Sunday school. And uh, you can see here it's got a spaceship. Some of y'all got to see his astronaut uniform this morning and it's got some, it's got a heart-shaped planet. I've never seen one of those before, but um, Nixon is, is really into spaceships right now. In fact, in the past week, Nixon asked me if I would buy him a real spaceship. Uh, and not, uh, not a little toy spaceship, because that's real, not a model. He wants a real spaceship. He made it very clear that he wants one that he can fly in and go to outer space. A uh, couple days later, Patrick asked me to buy him a real school bus. <laughs> He wants a real school bus. I tried to look online. I didn't even try to price a spaceship. I tried to price a school bus, and I, all I can say is school bus manufacturers are really cagey with their prices. They only want you to know how much they cost if you give them lots of your information, which I take to mean that they are really expensive. Um, now that tells you something about what our boys are, are into right now. Um, but it also tells you something about their estimation of me as their father. Uh, unfortunately, I had to remind them that I am not Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or Warren Buffett or uh, Bill Gates. I'm not a billionaire who can afford to buy spaceships and school buses as I please. I was thinking about the audacity of a request like that. You know, will you buy me a spaceship? Will you buy me a school bus? And I realized no one else has ever asked me to buy them a spaceship or a school bus. Um, I've been around lots of kids. So it's not just that they're, they're kids. You could say, well, they're just kids. They don't know any better. I've been around lots of kids who've never asked me to buy them a spaceship or a school bus. The reason they would make such an audacious request is because I'm their dad, right? Um, they assume, however wrongly, that I have the capacity financially and that I have the willingness to give them the very best gifts, and we can learn something from them. On this Father's Day, I want us to think about the boldness of those requests as an illustration of how we are invited to pray. We began our service this morning by reading from Matthew chapter 6, the, uh, the so-called Lord's Prayer or the model prayer where Jesus invites us to pray and to call on God as our Father in heaven. And when you read the New Testament, you find that God's fatherly love is often used as motivation for us to pray. There's a connection between seeing God as your father and prayer, because what is prayer if not going to someone who loves you and asking them to give you something that you know or you hope they are able and willing to give you? And so there are limits to my ability and there are limits to my willingness to give good gifts to my children, but there are no limits on the ability and the willingness of our Heavenly Father to give all that He deems to be good. And we'll see this morning the, the, that, that clarity that he, he is able and willing to give us all that He deems to be good. That does not mean He's obligated to give me everything for which I ask. And that's good news, by the way. 
but it does mean that we, we ought to and we can have a childlike boldness in the ways we plead with our Heavenly Father. So let's read together in Matthew 7. This is Jesus addressing the same people to whom He was speaking in Matthew 6. And He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful that you are better than any earthly father. Lord, I, I thank you for the earthly fathers who are here. Um, and Lord, what they represent. Um, but Lord, as good or bad as we may be, we know that you are better. And so God, I pray that you would lift our eyes, enlarge our vision of you, both of your power your strength, your holiness, your wisdom. God, your willingness to hear us as your children and to answer when we call out to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I want us to imagine for a second, you've probably had the experience of going to someone else's home for the first time. Not someone that you know very well, but imagine you are a guest in someone's home for the very first time. There are lots of things you may not know. Where can I sit, right? Am I going to sit in the chair that only that one person can sit in? Uh, where's the bathroom? That's a pretty important question, if, especially if you're going to be there for a long time. What do I do if I get hungry or thirsty? Um, a lot of times a host may say something like, make yourself at home. That's an invitation to, you know, Act as if this is your home. The more you visit, the more comfortable you may get, but it's still not your home. Now compare that experience with what it's like to be a child in your own home. So imagine now that you're like Nixon or Patrick and you're in my house. You don't own the things that are in the home. You don't own the home, but you have access to them. A child may not be able to fix his own cup of juice, or get his own snack, but he knows all he needs to do is ask. Um, if he's older, he, he, he might can get it himself. We have a little drawer in our house where we keep snacks. It's the bottom drawer. Our boys know within reason, uh, if they're hungry, they can go and open that drawer and get out a snack. Now, they can't reach the juice and all that kind of stuff, but all they, they know all they have to do is ask. Hopefully, under normal circumstances, a child should feel more comfortable in his or her own home than a guest would. Here in Matthew 7, Jesus is inviting us to make ourselves comfortable in God's home, as it were, but He's not addressing us as guests who are just here for a while. He's speaking to us as God's own adopted children. So children and guests have this in common. Neither a, children, neither a child nor a guest owns the home, or the things in the home. But 
a child has more access than a guest. Nixon and Patrick can go places in our home that if one of you were to go there, it would be strange. Okay? If I am in my house in the bathroom and one of you walks in, that's going to be an issue. But if Nixon and Patrick do it every day, and if you're a parent, you are nodding because you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. There's nowhere that's off limits. Um, a child has more access. They can go into the parent's bedroom while they're sleeping. Again, if you come into my house while I'm asleep and come into my bedroom, that's going to scare me. That's going to be a problem. But Nixon and Patrick are able to do that. Jesus is urging us to see ourselves not as strangers, not as guests, but as God's own children. And He specifically invites us to pray in light of that truth. And so I want us to see that this passage, as brief as it is, is filled to the brim. It is overflowing with encouragements for us to pray. And what I want to do is, initially I was planning on just walking through, okay, here's encouragement number one, number two. And I had a lot. And so I didn't want you to freak out and think, oh no, he's got a you know 15-point sermon. So what I did was I arranged all of these encouragements and I grouped them into one of three categories. We're kind of going to sift through and put them into one of three baskets, if you will. So three kinds of encouragement that Jesus gives us for how we might pray. First, we should pray because Jesus invites us to pray. It's very simple, but it's very profound that we are invited by the one who is the eternal Son of God. We are invited by Him to pray. Look again at verse 7 and take note of the commands that He gives us. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So he, he magnifies the force of his invitation by repeating it. Imagine if Jesus had simply said, ask. It would still be an invitation, but by repeating his offer, he makes it clear that he really means what he's saying. So again, put yourself in the shoes of a guest in someone's home. Imagine your host says to you, let me know if you need anything. That they're inviting you to ask if you need something, and you might say in response, thank you. Now, imagine they say, no, seriously, if there's anything you need, anything at all, don't hesitate to ask. You say, okay, okay, I, I will. Then they say a third time, I really mean it. All you have to do is ask. Now, at that point, you're probably going to be tempted to just to ask for something, so they'll quit telling you you can ask, right? You say, okay, all right, all right, I'll take a glass of water, so you'll leave me alone. But by repeating this invitation, Jesus drives home the forcefulness of it. But along with repetition, He uses variety. So He does not only say, ask, but He also does not only say, ask, ask, ask. He says, ask, seek, knock. He varies the invitation. And if you really slow down long enough, this is one of those passages that you may be familiar. You may feel like I'm really familiar with this passage. I've heard this one. Ask and you will find, or ask and you will, it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. But when you really slow down and you think about the difference between asking for something versus seeking something or someone, 
And the difference between asking and seeking and knocking, there is, he's gradually intensifying the invitation. So think again about the analogy I just used about the host who repeatedly tells you, you can ask if you need anything. Jesus does something better than that. He does not simply repeat the offer. He says, in addition to asking, you're also welcome to seek. Feel free to look around for whatever you need. Or you might say, well, what happens if I'm in your home and I need something, but you're not in the room? I can't ask you. This is an invitation to look around, try to find what you need. If you can't find what you need, then come find me and I'll get it for you. So there's something freeing about that because if you're in someone's home and you need something, you may feel uneasy about having to ask them, especially if you keep having to ask them for things. You might think, I don't want to bother them. I don't want to be a nuisance to them. If you get thirsty, it's nice to know there's, there are the glasses. I can just go get a glass of water. It's, it's nice to know that if, if there's something you can't find, the host has given you permission to come and find them and, and, and ask for what you need. But what happens if you need something? Your host is somewhere else in the house. Maybe they've gone into a room and they've closed the door. You can't ask. Maybe you've looked around, but you can't find what you need. You've found where they are, but they're behind a closed door, and you don't know if you have permission to, to go where they are. I don't want to bother them, so I'm, I'll just do without. But Jesus says, knock. Don't you love that? Ask. What if they're not in the room? Seek. What if you seek and you find, but they're behind a door? Knock. Sometimes asking and seeking are not enough. Sometimes you have to knock, and Jesus invites us to do even that. Of course, that analogy still does not do justice to what Jesus is saying because if you are in Christ, you are not merely a guest in God's home. You are a child of your heavenly Father. And that brings us to the second reason we should pray. First was because Jesus invites us to pray. And second, we should pray because Jesus assures us of the Father's willingness. He assures us of the Father's willingness. So Jesus gives us that threefold invitation, ask, seek, knock. And along with that invitation, He also gives us a threefold promise. Again, look at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. You don't have to worry about knocking and being turned away. You don't have to worry about that. He goes on to say at the end of verse 7, Your Father who is in heaven will give good things to those who ask Him. Now we need to be clear that Jesus is not obligating God to give us everything that we want or everything that we ask for. Because any of you who have either had kids or been around kids or even just seen TV shows with kids in them, you know that sometimes, if we can be just dead honest, kids ask for dumb things. And I don't mean anything offensive to kids by that, but sometimes kids don't know what's best for them, right? They might think they need a spaceship. And they might think that their dad is able and willing to buy them a spaceship. But as their father, I have the prerogative to say either, A, I don't have enough money in the bank for that, bud, or B, even if I did, I don't really know if it's the best thing for me to give a spaceship to a four-year-old. Uh, so our Heavenly Father has that same prerogative. He has the prerogative to say, listen, I hear you. 
I hear your request, but I'm wiser than you and I have something better for you. So when Jesus says that our Father in heaven will give good things to those who ask Him, the context makes it clear, as we're going to see in a moment, that God will give us what He deems to be good for us, not necessarily what we deem to be good for ourselves. There are times when we may ask for something we think is good, but God knows better. Here's the point, though. The point is we should be bold in our asking. So the freedom that Jesus gives us here is not to be paralyzed into thinking, oh boy, I don't want to ask God for the wrong thing, so I'm just not going to ask Him. I'm afraid that if I ask Him for this, He might think less of me. The point is, you have been given an open invitation to ask, to seek, to knock. And the promise is that He's not going to turn you away. He might say, well, I, I hear you, but I have this better thing for you. But He's not going to say, oh, you foolish child. He's not going to say, how could you ever ask me for something like that? If anything, God is pleased when we make big requests of Him because it says something about what we think of Him and His ability and His goodness and His wisdom. So we don't have to worry that we might ask God for the wrong thing. We're not going to tie God's hands behind His back and obligate Him to something because He's not obligated to give us something if He deems it to be unwise or if He deems it to be harmful in an eternal sense. And again, sometimes God gives us things that look to us like they're harmful, right? If you're a parent, you've probably given things to your kids that seemed harmful to them in the moment, like a spanking or timeout or, you know, spinach or whatever. But as a, as a parent, as a father, um, we, earthly fathers, we try to give good things to our children. But for all of us as God's children, if you're a child of God, we should have the kind of innocent boldness of a child who is asking his or her father for something. In other words, we should have big ambitions when we pray. The promise with which Jesus assures us is that our Heavenly Father will not turn a deaf ear to His children. By giving us these varied promises, He's encouraging us to bring our needs to Him, to state our requests, to cast our cares upon a loving Father who wants us to come to Him. That's the point is God wants you to come to to Him with your requests. He doesn't want you to go looking for someone else. Even if you technically ask for the wrong thing, it honors Him if you bring that request to Him rather than going and trying to fix it on your own or rather than going and asking someone else for it. It honors Him. We do not annoy Him. We do not bother Him. We honor Him when we ask and seek and knock. John Piper comments on this. He says, if a, if a child's father is present, he asks him for what he needs. If a child's father is somewhere in the house but not seen, he seeks his father for what he needs. If the child seeks and finds the father behind a closed door, he knocks to get what he needs. The point seems to be that it doesn't matter whether you find God immediately close at hand, almost touchable with His nearness, or hard to see and even with barriers between. He will hear and He will give good things to you because you looked to Him and not another. I love that picture. Jesus' invitation, ask, seek, and knock, implies that God expects some persistence from us in prayer. In other words, by telling us, ask, seek, and knock, and by promising us, 
if you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be opened to you. Jesus is sort of hinting to us that, listen, this may mean that you might have to do a little bit more than just ask. It's not enough sometimes just to ask once. Sometimes God wants to see how seriously you want something. I imagine that some of you who are parents know what I'm talking about when I say that, that sometimes your child might ask you for something and you might say, okay, I, I could possibly be inclined to give them this thing, but I want to see if they're really serious, right? I, I don't want to go out and, and buy them this thing if it's just a fleeting desire. I want to see how, how serious they are. Are they still going to want this thing in a week? Are they still going to want this thing in a month? Are they still going to be asking me about it then? Or is this just one of those things, they saw a commercial, hey, will you get me that thing? Well, let's see. Let's wait and see if the desire is still there. That's the way God treats us sometimes as His children. He wants to see how persistent we're going to be in prayer. So we don't always find the Father in the same room, so to speak. Sometimes He is difficult to see and difficult to hear. Sometimes we feel there are barriers between us and Him. Sometimes, if we're being honest, the reason we don't pray is because we feel like we've prayed and He hasn't answered. The point of these promises is Jesus is urging us to persist and He's assuring us that God sees us, that He hears us, that He will answer us when we persist in prayer. So even when I don't hear God, even when I don't see Him, He sees me and He hears me. And not only does He give us this threefold promise in verse 7, notice how He restates it in verse 8. He says, "...for everyone who asks receives." And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. I love the word everyone there. When Jesus, the word, when He uses the word everyone, he, he's, he's trying to overcome our hesitation. Because for some of us, the inclination here is to say, oh yeah, sure, these promises and these invitations might be for some people, but they're not for me. And Jesus is overcoming that hesitation, and he's saying, no, this is for everyone. Now, everyone here does not necessarily refer to every human. It refers to every child of God, everyone who's united to, by faith to Jesus, and certainly any unbeliever who calls out and asks the Lord for forgiveness and, and pleads with Him, he, he will hear, and He will not turn a deaf ear to them. But the point is, there is no child of God who is excluded from this invitation to ask and seek and knock. It's not like there are different classes of God's children. Some of them can ask, but only some of them can seek, and then there are precious few who can knock. Every child of God is invited and commanded to ask and to seek and to knock. And every child of God is given the promise that everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, it will be open to them. Martin Luther comments, Jesus knows that we are timid and shy, that we feel unworthy and unfit to present our needs to God. I want to just pause there and ask if you've ever felt that before. Maybe you feel, I just can't bring this to God because I feel unworthy, because I'm sinful. Martin Luther says Jesus is overcoming that. He knows that we are timid and that we are shy, that we feel unworthy and unfit to present our needs to God. We think that God is so great and we are so tiny that we dare not pray. That is why Christ wants to lure us away from such timid thoughts, to remove our doubts, and to have us go ahead confidently and boldly. He's assuring us of the Father's willingness to hear us, to be found by us, 
and to answer us. And He gives us that invitation knowing full well, even better than we know, how sinful we are. So I want to just say to you, no matter how unworthy you feel, how unfit you feel, how small you feel to bring your request to God, Jesus was fully aware of that, and yet He still gave us these invitations and these promises. So, first we've seen that we should pray because He invites us to pray. We should pray because He assures us of the Father's willingness. And third, we should pray because Jesus assures us of the Father's ability. He assures us of the Father's ability. He does not simply say to us, you're welcome to come and bring your requests and I'll hear them. But He assures us that God is able to answer, to give, to be found, and to open the door. Now by ability, I mean not only His power, but also His wisdom and holiness. In other words, God is able to give good things to His children because He has that capacity, but He's also able to discern what gifts would be for their good. So He's wise. Simply put, our Heavenly Father is better than any earthly father. Jesus draws out this contrast. Look at verse 9. He, sp he speaks to us, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, uh, will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Now, I know that on Father's Day, as we all think about our own earthly fathers, we've had different experiences with our dads. The point Jesus is making here, however, is that we should never make the mistake of limiting our view of our heavenly Father to the experience we've had with our earthly Father. You cannot draw a straight line from your dad to God. No matter how bad or how good your earthly Father is, God is not limited by the sins and weaknesses and limitations of even the best of earthly fathers. Now, of course, some earthly fathers are terrible to their children. They are downright abusive or negligent. Earthly fathers can abandon. Earthly fathers can harm physically, verbally, emotionally. Earthly fathers can be absent, whether that's physically or emotionally. Some earthly fathers are absent because they're off at work all the time. Some earthly fathers are absent because they're in the room, but they're involved in their phone or the TV, and they're not interacting with their kids. Those are all ways that earthly fathers can treat their children. But whether your father was the walking embodiment of evil or he was the best dad you could possibly imagine or more likely if he was something in between, we should not draw conclusions about our heavenly father from our experience with our earthly father. There can be some similarities and there can be likenesses, but God is vastly superior in every way. Jesus poses these rhetorical questions. If your son asks for bread, you would not give him a stone, would you? If your son asks for a fish, you would not give him a serpent, would you? Many times, even if an earthly father is not a believer, they still want to give good things to their kids. This is true. What he's saying here is true even of most earthly fathers. It's not always the case, but it's often the case. 
I love what Jesus does in verse 11. He does not say that's exactly what God is like. Look at what He says. He says, if you then who are evil... Right? If even, if even you wouldn't give your son a stone or a serpent, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, even if you're the, you know, an unbeliever, you can still give your child bread and food, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So God is not like your earthly father. He is infinitely better. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So every earthly father is lacking in some way, often in many ways. Sometimes we lack the willingness to do good for our kids. Other times we lack the ability to give them all that we would like to give them. Often we lack the wisdom to know with certainty what will be for their ultimate good. Again, even if I had the financial means to buy a spaceship for Nixon or a school bus for Patrick, would that be wise? Would that be for their good in an ultimate sense? Our Heavenly Father never has to ask that question. He's never lacking in His willingness. He's never lacking in His ability. He's never lacking in His wisdom. He's never lacking in His holiness. He always gives what He deems to be good to His children who ask Him. So God never says, I don't know what would be the best thing in this situation. And even if he says, well, I know the best thing in this situation, God never says, I'm unable. He never says, I know what's good, but I'm not able to give that to my child. And God never says, I know what's good, and I'm able to give them that, but I'm unwilling to give them that. He never says any of those things. He always gives what he deems to be good to his children who ask him. There are times when we as God's children don't know what to ask. Or we may ask for the wrong thing. To, ad to adapt Jesus' analogy, if I may, there are times when we as God's children ask Him for a stone and He gives us bread instead. Or we ask Him for a snake and He gives us fish instead. We often don't realize in the moment that we're asking God for a stone or for a snake. Otherwise, we wouldn't ask for that. And sometimes when God gives us bread or fish instead, He gives us what we didn't ask for. We may be upset and say, that's not what I asked for. But Jesus wants to assure us not only that God is able to give us anything, but that He is able to discern the difference between a stone and bread and between a fish and a snake. He always knows the wisest thing and the best thing to give us at all times. And He is always able and willing, uh, willing to give us the wisest and best thing at all times. Now, we've kind of hinted at this, but I want to just now point this out directly. All of these invitations, all of these assurances are given to those who can call on God as their Father. Which means that all of these invitations and all of these assurances are grounded on the work of Jesus at the cross. God can only be our Father by virtue of us being united through faith to His Son Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God by nature. We can be children of God by grace through adoption into God's family. What Jesus is describing here is not what we deserve. He's describing grace. None of us on our own deserves to come before God and ask for anything because what we deserve is death. What we deserve is an eternity in hell. 
None of us deserve to find Him. None of us deserve to have Him open the door to us because we've all slammed the door on Him. We've all turned our back on Him. And yet His promise to us is grace that if you who are sinful, if you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, you will find. This is the same thing that God told His people through the prophet Jeremiah. If you search for Me, you will find Me if you seek Me with all your heart. So all of this is grace. But I pray that we will consider and make use of this wonderful privilege that we have if we're God's children. We don't have to hold anything back from Him. We can ask knowing that He will give and that we will receive what He deems to be for our good. We can seek knowing that we will find Him if we search for Him with our whole heart. And we can knock knowing that our Father will not leave the door closed, but that He will welcome us into His arms. He is a good Father. We're going to sing a hymn, hymn of invitation in just a moment. And this is our opportunity to respond to the invitation of the Son of God to come to the Father. I'm going to be standing at the head of this aisle. I'd love to speak with you or pray with you. The altar is open if you'd like to come and pray. And I, I simply want to say this. If you are a child of God, you can ask your Father for anything. You don't have to worry about messing up His plans. He's not obligated to give you anything except what He deems to be good for you. But He encourages us and we honor Him when we pray boldly to Him. But right now, if you're, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know if I'm a child of God or not, then you don't need to worry about asking God for anything else except forgiveness and reconciliation to Him. And His promise is He will never cast out those who come to Him. He will never turn you away. So ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank You for this wonderful uh, invitation and these wonderful promises that You've given to us, Lord Jesus. Lord, none of us are worthy, none of us are fit to bring our requests to You, and yet You bid us come to You. And Lord Jesus, You shed Your precious blood to purchase this privilege for us. So God, right now in this moment, I pray that none of us would hold anything back from You, Lord, that nothing would be off limits, that we would lay our hearts bare before You and so honor You in that way, that we would honor You by being honest with You, by making our requests to You, by casting our cares upon You, because You care for us. Lord, help us to humble ourselves right now in this moment to do that very thing. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.